guys. It's Jose Galison on No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way No Way Jose YouTube channel. I'm also just about everywhere podcasts are at. Every podcatcher. Um, I'm also on the Liberty Movement YouTube channel and the BitShoot as well for that. Um, this episode will be on that because we're uh, just gonna be we're gonna be covering crypto today. Uh, my guest today is Sal Mayweather, aka Sal the Agorist. And like I just said a second ago, the episode today is for crypto, but the angle we're going to be going for is crypto for dummies. So for like people like me who are just not really tech savvy, we're going to be kind of going over the basics. I know for a lot of people that's very elementary, you know, but I know there's still a plenty of us that are still fucking, you know, just getting with the times, especially with some of the events as of late. Um, also want to remind you all, I just monetized recently. I'm on patreon.com slash no way Jose 2020. You can also support me with crypto on endthefed.app. On there, I'm also no way Jose 2020. Um, with that, I'm gonna go ahead and bring on Sal. What's up, Sal? What's up, man? What it do? <laughs> thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Oh yeah, thanks for coming on again. It's like the third time you're on here, so uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's always good having you on. <laughs> um, so you want to go ahead and introduce yourself again? Uh, I have a pretty small audience, so it's kind of like it's good to introduce your keep having you reintroduce yourself because uh, it's probably such recurring people, you know, like, so. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm Sal Mayweather. You guys might know me as Sal the Agorist um, from social media. I have, I host the Agora podcast. I co-host Unloose the Goose podcast, publishing the New Libertarian blog. I do some freelance work and I am the CEO of, of uh, Agoristics and we run 3 printergobird.com, some other little companies. So, yeah. I've been wanting to ask for a while. When did you when did you uh, come up with the title 3D Printer Go Burr? Because it's just kind of like, you know, the whole meme thing. Like, I didn't know if that was like, you just so happened to just kind of be ahead of the curve there. Or No, no, it, it actually wasn't my meme. I don't know who created the meme, but uh, I guess the idea was like, you know, once in like, I think it was like around like March 2020 when all this COVID stuff happened. I think they were all like... Uh, when they were doing the stimulus and printing money and all that nonsense and they were just like, oh, haha, money printer go burr. And someone was just like, okay, well, you know, haha, 3D printer go burr too. So, oh, and then okay. that, and that, and that, that, that just kind of took off and then that led to, you know. Okay. That answers my question. I didn't know if you like had the branding beforehand. You were no. just kind of a, you're just a meme visionary, <laughs> you know? No, I co-opted that one. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Your limit on time today. So first off, first question, why crypto? Why crypto? It's a good question. So, um, oh man, I don't even know where to start. Uh, <laughs> I guess the, 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 real, the real answer to that question is because it's the only choice. It, it, it's the only option we have available to us, right? You can't use fiat currency because that's obviously the, the banks will inflate away the value of that. And, uh, you know the the most obvious solution is is metals, gold and silver. You know even copper, platinum, palladium, rhodium, stuff like that is works great as money. But the problem is that it's all confiscable. The state can confiscate it when they wish. So, um, you know it lacks it lacks temporal saleability is what Carl Menger, the great economist, called it. So, cryptocurrency they can't confiscate. It's much less susceptible to political and social censorship. So. That's that that that's mainly why crypto. That's a good answer. Uh, I was gonna see if you wouldn't mind doing a quick a quick a quick history of crypto. I'm getting tongue tied there. So uh, just a quick rundown of the history, so people know kind of where it came from. Obviously, we're kind of getting at you know, wink, wink, the the founder kind of you know that's a, the big part of the whole story. But uh, I'll look yeah. the way. Well, it was like so. There is there had always been this like sort of dream amongst the cypherpunks and the crypto anarchists of creating a, a sort of digital currency. Sam Konkin even spoke about it um, way back when, before it was even really a thing. And there was always like attempts that didn't work out. Um, Adam Beck had, a, had an attempt. Um, David Chom made an attempt. Uh, lots of different people tried. There was different like Hashcash and I think like Digicash was another one, all kinds of weird choices. Um, but none of them actually worked out for some reason or another. There was always a problem with the code or, or the cryptography or the structure of, of the network. Some, there was always an issue. And Satoshi in 2008, when he released the white paper, sort of, um, and of course I'm skipping over a lot here, but Satoshi basically uh, 
solved all of those problems in in one fell swoop and that was that was the genius of the white paper that was 2008 and uh no one really knew what what it, what it was for at first like initially it was sort of just like this kind of like um sort of like a novelty that you just that people on the internet just traded around to each to almost like dogecoin or something like that where you just, actually nowadays dogecoin actually has monetary value so I shouldn't even say that something like you know even more ludicrous you know it, it was just like as a joke you would just send it to your friends and whatnot to the moon and then yeah yeah exactly uh and then um and then ross Ulbricht came up with with the silk road and then that really changed everything because now you can actually ross showed us what you could use it for right now that you when you have a peer-to-peer -peer cash that can enable secure transactions amongst individuals who are not face-to-face -face without the need for a third-party intermediary that really changes the game because now you can sort of have you can have digital commerce and e-commerce without needing banks or in or paypal or visa or anything like that so that that was really a huge moment in the history of bitcoin was the silk road that's really what gave bitcoin the utility that uh you know, Mises and Menger spoke about when they, when they talk about the need for utility in a commodity in order to become money in their in the in regression theorem. That's what they were speaking about. So Ross gave it utility. He showed us what what we can use it for, and then the network grew and grew and grew. Um, and we all knew it too. You know, um, I got in probably around 2013, and we all knew that. Uh, it was gonna was gonna blow up simply just because the, the bank is will inflate forever and uh eventually the network got so bogged down as it grew and grew that it became unusable right and this is about this is about 2017 uh bitcoin hits all-time highs well at the time they were all-time highs it was of like we hit like twenty thousand dollars per bitcoin but the problem was the transaction fees were astronomical Right to, to send a, a Bitcoin or a, a piece of a Bitcoin from one address to another became cost prohibitive, and that that limited uh, Bitcoin's use as a medium of exchange, as as a money. So some people decided what we're going to do is we're going to raise the block limit, right? So you can think of a block almost like a stack of checks, and however many blocks you could fit in there, well that that block goes to a miner. And the miner will verify that these these transactions, these checks, did occur, and then uh, that block gets chained onto the next block of checks. Well, as you can see, like you can imagine that, and with that analogy, if you have just a few a few checks in each block, the network can become very congested. But if you increase the size of the block, if you increase the amount of transactions in the block, the amount of checks, then that the, then the network can sort of flow more smoothly. That's what some people did, and they created Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin Cash, in my opinion, this preserves the peer-to-peer the -peer nature that Satoshi and Ross really um, stressed. And uh, here we are today. Now, you know, of course, we've splintered into a million different cryptocurrencies. There's, uh, there's a version of Bitcoin with, with even more bigger, more giant blocks, BSV which enables a whole new set of possibilities. You know, they're talking about a meta net and so all sorts of crazy stuff, which we can get into if you'd like. But, you know, now we have this whole, to, just to summarize it, you know, it's where we are today. We have this sort of like uh, really blossoming sort of ecosystem of, of a million different cryptocurrencies, all serving a, diff a different purpose and catering to a different community. And uh, I just think it's wonderful that we have this competition that in, in, in the currency market, because this is, this is what Friedrich Hayek, the economist, spoke about in his piece. Um, I believe he, it was called like the denationalization of money, where he spoke about the need for competition amongst currencies, and, and hopefully that the idea the idea is that we can achieve that with crypto. So that's sort of the backstory, and that's sort of you know where we are today. Spooner actually did some writing on that too. I mean, in some of his not so famous writing, I remember him talking about uh, competing currencies at the time. You know, when it no was, shit. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I've kind of read, gone into the uh, the down the rabbit trail with Spooner before. Okay. He's just, I don't know, he's a fun. He's, I don't know, I, I enjoy reading him. I just thought that was a fun aside because it's kind of like a you know history rhymes type thing. So you kind of see. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting to see. It's interesting to see how many um, 
old school people spoke about the need for freedom in in, in money. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of want to comment too. I, I didn't realize that it was it was two thousand eight that uh, that, that yeah. uh, you know Satoshi you know did that. Uh, it's kind of crazy because it's like I graduated in oh nine. So like <laughs> yeah, October October thirtieth two thousand eight. October thirtieth or thirty first. Yeah. It's like what it was. It's it's already you know cracked forty k at at some point. You know, so it's. I don't know. Up to 40, 47 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's wild. All right. I was going to, I figured it'd probably be good to define terms and we'll kind of start there. I'll kind of run through. And then after I, we run through some, I'll, you know, you probably have some terms that maybe I should, uh, should have brought up, but let's start out with crypto. And I know crypto can mean cryptography or cryptocurrency. You can, de you could define either or, or, you know, just crypto generally. But so what, what does crypto mean to you? So to me, it's, it's cryptography. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, crypto means cryptography and that could refer to cryptographic currencies or, um, you know, encryption or all sorts of things. You know, crypto anarchism is a much wider field. Cryptocurrencies is, is a, just a, a, a smaller subset of, um, crypto anarchism really. All right, good. Uh, block. I know you touched on it a little bit, but uh, give you a chance to define it a little more uh, specifically. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I would honestly just stick with that analogy. I would. Uh, that's the easiest way to understand it. It's sort of a, a stack of transactions, a block of transactions that miners have to verify in the Bitcoin network. And uh, while I'm not super nerdy, I've kind of had it explained to me before. You know, obviously, like I said, I'm a tech idiot. But I could, you can almost look at it as batches, right? Tell me if I'm wrong. Like when it comes to yeah. – I know I've interacted with certain, you know – tech things before where they will pull things in batches like yeah uh, yeah yeah let, so let, that could be one way to pull it look at it right yeah batches or or like like um like a block of of transactions like i said i just to go over that analogy one more time maybe i can flush it out i think like 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 if you really think about it like if you have a stack of checks and then like like i said the miner has to verify like almost like a bank would verify that those checks are valid a miner has to perform that function. And once they do, then that, that block gets their stamp of approval and it gets chained on to the next block. And then, then they receive the next block of checks and they go through the same validation process. That's okay. where the blockchain comes from. Oh, well, I was about to say blockchain. I was going to say it's kind yeah. of, you would think it was just a chain of blocks. So exactly, yes. Story, but we're yes, trying to keep exactly. it for us dummies. Yeah. Or me, dumb people like me. <laughs> no, it's perfect, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, wallet. So when people talk about a wallet in refer reference to crypto, so a wallet is just like a um, like a, uh, an app or or a, some sort of software that allow you to or hardware nowadays that allow you to store your uh, cryptocurrency. And there's all different options out there. Um, the, my personal favorite choice is the Bitcoin.com wallet, but there's all sorts of wallets out there. Uh, that's that's great for BCH. If you're into BTC, then uh, Breeze makes a great wallet for iOS. But you know, do your research. Depends on what phone and what you know platform you're looking for and what cryptocurrency you're 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 trying to use. But it really it's just a way to hold and store your digital assets. Okay. Um, God, I had a thought. Oh, uh, there are there are external wallets, right? Isn't that a thing where you can have like an external? Yeah, wallet? yeah. The, the, those are the hardware wallets. So you get yeah. like Trezor, Ledger, Cold Cold Wallet, and so I think it's something like that. But uh, yeah, they're like you know hardware USB devices that you can like literally just stick the crypto on your USB card and just stick it in your safe, and that's that. Yeah, and that's I mean that would be more for the purposes of people really engaging in the. Uh, the agora you know that's kind of what my understanding yeah yeah well if you're holding large sums you know it, it, it's it's useful and it gives people a sort of sense of like security Keeps i'm not sure <laughs> I, yeah i'm not I, i'm not really it's not my thing honestly to call the, the hardware wallets because i then you sort of you're dependent on a sort of technical device to to to, to get those those coins you know so yeah um address so an address is uh, the, it's almost like your, your account number, your bank account number, but it's almost like your wallet address. It's a string of uh, 16 digits, characters, I should say, um, letters and numbers, ca capitalized and uncapitalized. Um, the key is that, that to understand, this is the important part to understand about your address, using Bitcoin, it's pseudonymous. So, um, 
it's, it's almost like using a pen name. But if they can tie, if the feds or the police can tie your wallet address to you, then they can connect you to those transactions. But if, um, you know, for example, in like a Monero, which is a, a private in a, a privacy coin, it's much more, it's an, it's an anonymous chain. Uh, those addresses can't be traced back to either the sender or the receiver because they use a little bit more stricter crypt, uh, cryptographic protocols. But yeah. It sounds like you're telling me that's a ship I need to jump onto. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It is. Uh, all right, KYC. And that kind of ties into that. <laughs> KYC uh, is know your customer laws. KYC refers to an identity verification process that the state forces financial institutions to impose on their customers so that they can connect you to any sort of exchange that you make and they can sort of try to incriminate you based on your purchase history. That's why that's the beautiful part of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, right? That's the whole point of crypto. That's if you read, if you read the white paper, this is the point that Satoshi makes is that now with, with crypto, that verification process where it used to take place by a bank, or PayPal or Visa, but right? that sort of centralized structure, that sort of centralized verification structure was the weakness in fiat currency. That's what allows the state to prohibit transactions. By what Satoshi did was, was decentralize that verification process. He made it in, in a, he made it in a much more distributed fashion. Uh, and that is, is much more difficult for them to, uh, sensor and um stuff like that so that's really the beauty of it all right this one the last term i have for you is kind of a little bit more of a memeified thing but uh h-o-d-o-l hodl or, or hodl is um it just means like hold your coins forever they i'm not a hodler the hodlers and i don't really see eye to eye they don't like me that's <laughs> one of the many factions of the libertarian movement who doesn't really care for me but uh i personally think hodling is kind of stupid um, you aren't going to end the Fed by buying a bunch of Bitcoin and sticking it underneath your mattress. You that's that's not that's not money, right? You might you can do that with a Picasso. You can do that with a, with a, a real estate or a car. You, if you just want to store your assets somewhere, there's plenty of different options to do that. The point of cryptocurrency is to use it as a medium of exchange, right? We want to as agorists. As agorists, basically the idea is this. We look at the state and we say, okay, the biggest problem with the state, right, is sort of the nexus of their operation is the Federal Reserve. And if we can stop the Fed, well, hell, that's that's more than half the battle, right? And as agorists, we say, well, how do we stop the Fed? Well, we have to outcompete them. Right? We have to offer a better product or service than they can at a better price. And what what is their product? Well, it's it's exchange media. It's currency. So we have to offer a more efficient medium of exchange. And um, to me, that that the most efficient medium of exchange today, like I said, is, is Bitcoin Cash. And I, I think it's inevitable that the market will, it'll outcompete the fiat currency. I mean, that's far more than half the battle. That's the whole battle, if you really think it through. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, agree with you. I guess when I've heard of HODL, I mean, like I said before, I'm not a huge, huge crypto guy. I'm, I'm wanting to be. But uh, when I've heard HODL, I more I more interpret that as like an encouragement not to bail because a lot of people treat like I mean while they shouldn't I feel like they're operating in a false paradigm. A lot of people kind of treat it like stocks, and then when it comes down, they go, "Oh shit, it's gonna the, the bubble's gonna burst. We need a fucking we need to all dump all our assets." And so, but I get what you're saying. You should use it as a medium of exchange and not so much a uh, just a hold on. But I also do right. think there's something to like, hey, don't just sell your shit. Like you should still be engaging in this. So, well, I think the the idea is this: like when you're when you're using a money that 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 isn't being inflated, right? Um, something something that that preserves its value. Uh, you know, you, you're you're less likely to spend go out and spend your money on nonsense. You it, it makes saving saving money much easier. That's one of the beautiful things about cryptocurrency that you'll notice as soon as you get involved in crypto, you don't want to spend it, right? All of a sudden, like. If you go, you go to the store and you have $20 in your wallet, 20 US dollars in your wallet, and you, have, you want to buy you know, something stupid, you know, you know, waste your money on a Gatorade and a candy bar or something, that's no big deal, right? You don't think twice. But when you use cryptocurrency, you're like, oh, man, I don't want to spend my, my Bitcoin cash right now. Who knows? Tomorrow the price is going to go up. 
Yeah. Like with dollars, you know, the price is going to go down. So you, so you're more inclined to spend it rather than to delay consumption. Right. And this is what, this is what Hans Hoppe spoke about when he, when he, when he spoke about time preference, right. Do you prefer to consume goods and services now? Or do you, do you prefer to consume goods and services later? Can you delay consumption until later? And the people that can do that have a much, um, they're much more successful people. They, they usually have like a, a much more stable life. Um, you know, uh, and how, you know, there's all sorts of examples we can go into, but yeah, hodling is like, I'm not saying like, don't, don't go out and spend, don't go out and like, I'm not saying go out and spend your Bitcoin. What I'm saying is spend and replace rather than just stuff underneath your mattress forever. You yeah. know? Yeah. I, I get what you're getting at. Um, all right, next, I kind of would was hoping that you could just give me a rundown on how to start, how to get into crypto. What do you need to do? Because I feel like that's the biggest hurdle, especially for people like me. It's like I've watched so many fucking, you know, podcasts or listen to people start and even still I'm like, fuck, it sounds like a lot. But I'm I'm like I'm a kind of a tech idiot. So, like, you know, maybe try to orient it towards someone who's not tech savvy, you know, maybe the most basic method. I know this is kind of a can of worms. Cause I've like, you know, for me, I've listened to a bunch of them. I've heard like a bajillion different ways to go about, you know, getting into crypto. So I know right. you know, the most basic method you can think of for, for newbies. Cause that, that's kind of what yeah. I'm trying to orient this towards. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So like, it's not as difficult as you'd imagine. Right. Um, and you can break it down in just a handful of steps. So number one, you have to acquire the cryptocurrency. That's, that, that's, that's the first thing. And there's a couple ways you can do this. Um, you can go through like a, um, a KYC exchange, right? You can KYC yourself and go through something like Coinbase or Binance or something like that. And that's great. That, honestly, I'll be honest with you, that, that if you don't mind a KYC, that really makes the process a hell of a lot easier. It really sort of streamlines the whole process. Um, if you don't want to KYC yourself, there are um, sort of uh, peer-to-peer exchanges I would recommend. Um, Local.bitcoin.com is, is a good one. Um, Local Cryptos is a good one. Local CoinSwap is a good one. And I've used all of these before with success. And basically the way it works is, uh, you just connect with another individual and you you make the transaction happen using PayPal or Cash App or Venmo or Zelle or something like that. And they send you the crypto using an escrow system so that you know everybody's safe. There's a lot of scammers out there, but if you stick to the escrow on those peer-to-peer exchanges, you'll, you'll, you'll be all right. So, so just, you know, I'm, I'm sort of babbling, but you have two choices. You have the KYC exchanges and the, and the non-KYC exchanges. You have to make that choice. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter if you use the KYC exchange because if you ever need to facilitate a non-KYC transaction, you can always still do that, right? It, it, like, in other words, if you buy your crypto from Coinbase, right, and then you need to go on the black market and buy something, they can't stop you from doing that, right? So who cares if, if you use KYC to buy, you know, a case of water? It doesn't matter. Or if you want to go out to buy groceries or, or you taking your, your girl out to dinner or something, it's, there's who cares if that's KYC, right? If you only care about the KYC for the big stuff, right? Like, you know, 3D printers or drugs or something like that. So, um, and, you know, like I said, they can never take that aspect of Bitcoin away. So once you do that, then um, that's like, that. that's basically step one. Then you have to you know, just determine what, you know, you need to store it somewhere. You have to get a wallet and, you know, we can get into that if you'd like, but that's a whole nother process. I mean, like I said, if we can do this for new, cause I'm just trying to like the, the purpose of this episode was mostly for someone who has absolutely no idea when it comes to crypto, how they could go about having this episode and be completely able to do it. So like, yeah, I mean, whatever needs to be, we need to cover wallet wise for someone to be able to get started, like sure. And then obviously like I know this is like a can of worms because it's like I feel like there's a million different ways to do everything related to crypto, and that's yeah. part, of, part of the issue. So for people getting in, so like if yeah, there's no, maybe no. If there's a recommendation for the easiest way, I don't, I don't know, wallet wise. Yeah. So like, okay, so like the easiest. So once you get your Bitcoin, like once you go to the exchange and you get it, then your your crypto is going to wind up on an exchange like Coinbase or like local.bitcoin.com. You'll have the crypto there. Um, don't store your crypto on an exchange because, you know, the exchange has control of those coins. Um, you know, the, the classic phrase here, the, the rule is 
if they're not your keys then they aren't your coins okay so if, if the winklevoss twins who own coinbase have your keys then that's for all intents and purposes that's their bitcoin not yours so once you get the crypto you have to move it into a wallet you're going to want you're going to want to move it into a non-custodial wallet where you and only you have control over that that the over those funds um my personal recommendation is to use the bitcoin.com wallet i use it it's the one i use i love it it's great i know roger ver um he, he thinks like you and i do so we're we we have no difference in values we're both out for the same goal um and it also enables tokenization which is an, another wonderful aspect of cryptocurrency but um yeah so like that's the that's the wallet i would use like I said, there's other choices out there, you know, do your research. I know a lot of people use, you know, like I said, for BTC, they'll use uh, uh, Breeze or, you know, uh, Monero has their own dedicated wallet. Dash has their own dedicated wallet. Um, there's a million different choices out there. And then, of course, there's the hardware wallets, uh, Ledger, Trezor, you know, some of the ones we already mentioned. So do your research. My personal recommendation is to... Um, Go through one of the go through one of the KYC exchanges if you don't care, and then transfer that crypto to a non-custodial wallet like the Bitcoin.com wallet. That's that, that, that's basically what I would say. Or like I said, go through local.bitcoin.com to buy it and then transfer it to the Bitcoin.com wallet. Yeah, I think it is. It's a uh, like I, I know one of the big things. Like I saw Bob Murphy made a tweet about it long to, uh, or not too long ago, like kind of teasing you know crypto enthusiasts and how they like always like will shit on people and be like, oh well, you, you're in a KYC or you're you're not using this kind of wallet. And it's like I feel like the first like first hurdle is just getting in there, and so and from there people can kind of make their own decisions and what works for them. They're how oh, it is, it, you know. So. It is, and honestly, it's not like I said. KYC people make it out to be a bigger deal than it is, but um, you know, my to be honest with you, I, I you know they say, oh, well, Coinbase is going to report you to the IRS, but guess what? I don't give a shit. So I'm not paying their fucking taxes anyway. You know what I mean? They can show their tax bill or scrape their ass. So you know, whatever sort of shit they send me, I, it's it's really kind of irrelevant. But you know. So like, you know, it's just, it's easier for me to get it through Coinbase. I do get it through the non KYC exchanges too. Like I said, I've had no problem doing that, but there are scammers out there and you have to be careful. So not to go on too much of an aside, but you kind of brought up KYC and taxes. I can understand why KYC would be like a no, no, like you don't want to do that if you're doing something like explicitly legal, like black market. Right. Shit. But now if you're doing gray right. market shit, like evading taxes, now is that going to be because I would think, I mean, I don't, like I said, I'm not a huge crypto guy. I would think that would be a nightmare for the IRS to ever try to audit, like even with KYC checks to try to like audit your, your, your usage for tax purposes, essentially, you know? It is, it is. Um, you know, uh, the thing is like Coinbase makes all of Coinbase and Binance and all these, like these, like really like corporate institute, corporate exchanges. Now they sort of make it like, uh, you know, they have all the documents ready for the IRS. Okay. All right. That, so that kind it, of it, my <laughs> yeah, right, right. But um, with that being said, though, it's like difficult for them to track the, 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 um, the wallet addresses, right? They're, they're pseudonymous. So unless you're a big fish, they're not going to take the time and effort to connect you to your 16-digit uh, passphrase. Now, if you're, if, you're, if you're concealing 10, 20, 30 million dollars, then they're going to care. But if it's, you know, a hundred dollars, they don't get, they don't give a shit, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you're, you're, you're run of the mill agorist and you just kind of are, you know, skirting taxes a little bit, you're, I would assume you're probably okay. <laughs> For Ross Elbrick, it's a different story. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so do you think that you kind of, would you say you kind of covered everything you need to get started? I mean, you could kind of covered, you know, just buying and then having a wallet. I would think that's kind of all of it really. I mean, I guess the only other thing was where to spend it at that point, you know? So. Yeah, no. Um, well, there's there's how to spend it and where to spend it. Um, so once you have the crypto, like I said, don't just sit on it. Like use it. That's that. That's the whole key here. Um, your crypto, you're, you're going to see the, the value is very like the the price is very volume volatile because it's priced in fiat currency. Um, but 
you know, if you if you use it, you know, it, it's you'll see that over time it's going to go up and up and up. So let's say what I did through, you know, back, you know, going back five, six years ago, I would buy a Bitcoin for, you know, 100, 200 bucks and it would go up to like four or five hundred. And I would, you know, I was, you know, I was living the high life for five. That's how I survived for the last five or ten years. But, you know, my point is spend it. And then replace it, you know, take the new money that you are and convert that into crypto, convert as much fiat trash as possible into cryptocurrency. That's how we win the game, right? Um, at this point, I'm basically 100% in uh, on crypto. I don't, th I don't, I basically don't have any fiat currency left. Um, just because I, it's a moral issue for me. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to pay for the bankers' wars and stuff like that. But, you know, the key is it's hard. People say, oh, well, it's very difficult to spend it, right? Where, where, how can I spend it? Like, who accepts it? Well, again, you like a lot of, there's a lot of these uh, debit cards out there that for all intents and purposes normalize uh, the, the, the spending experience, but they're all heavily KYC. So, again, it's not a big deal. Unless you're making those black market transactions, and in those cases, you're not going to be using a debit card, right? It's almost like it's almost like cash, right? If you're going to make a black market transaction, you're not going to do it with a debit card. You're going to do it with cash, right? So you're going to do it directly. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. You're not going to do it with a BitPay card. You're going to do it directly. Yeah. Okay. So I think we covered everything for the how to get started. Now I'm, I'm going to I want to go into like kind of just questions of that I've heard a lot. Uh, for example. Uh, let's go into like the different types of cryptos and then we're not gonna go too deep, but just kind of, you know, your thoughts, I know, like, you know, kind of get into like shit coins and like, you know, just alts, you know, just what, what your thoughts are and just in general and like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Like there's a lot of great coins out there. Like I said earlier that do a lot of different things. And I think it's wonderful that we have this sort of competitive, diverse ecosystem of, of cryptocurrencies, uh, to me, like I said, the killer app, the killer app for cryptocurrencies is exchange media. It's just money. Um, and uh, there's a lot of coins that do that well. Dash uh, is literally comes from the, the terms digital cash, right? Um, Nano is great. It, it's basically you know free transactions, uh, very quick transactions. It's, it's a great coin. Monero is a is a great privacy coin. Uh, my buddy Jack Spierko is a fan of R, um, which is the sort of like the next gen uh, privacy coin. There's all sorts of third gen blockchains out there like Apollo and Cardano, which are sort of they they're not fully developed projects yet. But they're, they're the idea with these uh, with these uh, third gen blockchains is that they're going to be sort of all in one blockchains, sort of a, a mega blockchain. Um, BSV is a great blockchain, I think, in my opinion, because it has giant blocks that enable us to store large files on the blockchain forever. Things like books and movies and albums and things like that. So there's all sort of sorts of great current coins out there. Those are probably some of my favorite because I think that they can function as efficient mediums of exchange. But the best of all is Bitcoin Cash because um, not only is it, is it an efficient medium of exchange, but amongst the coins that I just mentioned, it's the only one that has significant retail adoption. So like all those coins work as money, but only, only Bitcoin Cash works as money and is accepted as money. So um, if you get a BitPay card or a Crypto.com card or something like that, you can load Bitcoin Cash on there. Right, but you can't load Monero, you can't load R, you can't load Nano, you can't load Dash, right? So, um, so yeah, yeah, that's that, that that's basically a rundown of some of the main coins that I like, and and why I would recommend you know BCH over the rest of them. Okay, uh, we've kind of like sort of touched on it a little bit through here, but I kind of want to take a second to focus on the different block sizes. Um, and does that matter? I've heard people saying, especially nowadays, that almost borderline doesn't matter where, you know, basically any block size kind of gets the job done. I, I don't know what, what your thoughts are. I mean, like this is, this is out of my league, so I'd let you tackle it. Let me know. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely matters. It definitely matters. You know, go back to that analogy, right, of, of um, a stack of checks. 
right? You, let, let's assume there's only a, a limited amount of miners within our network. And again, a miner is just the person who is validating these transactions. And as a reward for that validation work, they get put into a pool where they can potentially receive uh, some Bitcoin. Now, uh, you know, if you, again, going back to the analogy, the bigger the block, right, the less congested the network is, right? If you have really small blocks, it's, you're going to have to make a lot of blocks to account for the same size, the same amount of transactions. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I mean, I, like I said, this uh, this is a spot where I don't know much, but I feel like I've heard people make cases that I've heard people say it doesn't matter at all. I feel like I've heard people say that there are different advantages to small block sizes, different advantages to large. I just kind of wanted a an encapsulation from your perspective. Yeah, so like, so like, so like the small blocks will congest the network, and that mm -hmm. that sort of that, that bogs things down. It makes it slow and laggy. It drives up the transaction costs, and it sort of uh, drives up the, the, the amount of confirmations, the, the amount of confirmation time that you need to, uh, the amount of time you need to confirm a transaction. So all of that makes it an inefficient medium of exchange. I mean, could you imagine you're you're at you're online at in some retail location like at Target or Walmart or something like that, and you go to pay with with like a small block coin like Bitcoin, BTC, or something. And your bill is $30, so you scan $30 and say, okay, now we just have to wait an hour for that to confirm. Oh, and by the way, uh, Target, you guys are going to have to pay you know, $10 for that transaction. To, to You have to pay $10 for me to send you $30. That's never going to happen. No one is going to use that as money. So small blocks definitely matter. They're, they're inefficient. Um, so that's BTC, right? Then the sort of... BCH is sort of the middle of the road. And then you have the huge blocks like BSV, right? Which is Bitcoin, Satoshi, Vision. And that's sort of the Craig Wright uh, camp of Bitcoin. I like, I like this, right? The problem with these giant blocks though, there's a lot of problems with them, but the main problem I see is this. You can have, you have bad actors people who don't like BSV, right? And what they'll do is they'll upload child pornography onto the BSV blockchain. So now anybody who mines BSV is technically hosting kitty porn on their servers, right? So if the feds really wanted to, they could probably make a case that you have kitty porn in your, on, in your computer if you're mining BSV. So that's, that's one of the hurdles. Um, I personally think, and I, I've spoken to Craig Wright about this. He agrees that as AI develops, it'll be it'll be more able to sort of sift through the material on chain and sort of weed all that crap out. That's the hope, at least. Um, but for now, it, it it it's it doesn't work. It's too big, and like I said, BTC is too little. So really, BCH is sort of the Goldilocks answer, right? We're sort of going for like. It's just the perfect size to facilitate efficient transactions, but to prohibit bad actors from corrupting the chain. That makes sense. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny because it's almost borderline irre irrelevant with the kitty porn thing because feds are renowned for uh, just, oh, look, here's this magic kitty porn that just showed up for this person we don't like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And not only yeah. that, but like, you know, you, you make a good point. It is almost borderline irrelevant for a couple of reasons. Number one, like, Money should be used for bad things, right? People should be able to use money for bad things. That's that's the, one of the points of money, is that it's it's fungible, right? It could be used for anything. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm sympathetic to that. The other thing too is you know, you know, I I, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I'll just suffice it to say that I, that I I agree with you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's what wood chippers are for for those people. So, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, all right. So next question, I feel like this is one that comes up a lot. What if the state cracks down? What if they start getting super fucking authoritarian when it comes to Bitcoin or just crypto in general? Yeah, not not if right, but when mm -hmm. right. This is sort of an inevitability that we've kind of been. It's always it's, it's you know we've we've expected this for at least the last seven eight years now um that this is going to happen since i since i've been in bitcoin it, it's been a possibility so here's the way i see it portraying playing out um some of the larger states the u.s 
India, China, they're going to be the first to really crack down on cryptocurrencies. And I think uh, what you're going to see is you're going to see a, a sort of exodus of capital leaving some of these pseudonymous chains like Bitcoin. And they're going to be entering into some of the more uh, anonymous chains, some of the privacy coins like Monero and R and stuff like that. That's why I think really those are some of the best investments you can make right now are the privacy coins, because at the end of the day, we all know that. And I think John McAfee said this uh, at the end of the day, we all know that privacy coins and medical tokens are going to win the day. So, yeah. Um, the, the next question is, this is another one that comes up a lot, kind of similar to this. The last question I just gave you is, uh, what if shit hits the fan? Like, you know, full on fucking, you know, I don't know. The whole grid goes down shit like that. And I guess that kind of ties into a little bit. We talked about for the external wallets, you know, you can probably tie that in and maybe that'd be a use there, but I'll, I'll let you go. You kind of get what I'm getting at. So, well, um, see, this is a great, this is something that a lot of the gold bugs say, right? Is, well, what happens if the electricity grid goes down? And the, my favorite response to this, um, you know, I had Walter Block and Roger Ver on my show. Walter Block is, you know, the greatest economist alive today. And Roger Ver is the original Bitcoiner, right? The original Bitcoiner. And what Roger said to Walter, when Walter said it to Roger, Roger's response was just, well, yeah, well, if the grid goes down, then so does the U.S. dollar. And so does all the accounting firms, you know, who are uh, accounting for the gold vaults and stuff like that. So... If the electricity grid goes down, it won't just affect cryptocurrency. It'll affect every sort of currency. So it's not it's not a unique vulnerability among crypto. And, you know, the other thing, too, is the other point on that is as long as you can remember your passphrase, you're good. You know, I um, in the book uh, Bitcoin Billionaires, I believe. By Ben Mesrich, he talks about Charlie Shrem, who's another one of these old school Bitcoiners. And Charlie, I believe, has his passphrase inscribed on the inside of his wedding ring so that, you know, as long as he has that wedding ring on, no one's ever going to get his passphrase. You know what I mean? So if he ever needs it, he can take it off and look at, look at it, you know. So there's all sorts of ingenious ways. But, you know, the best way is if you can just remember it. If you can put 16 digits in your head... There will be no record of it, and they can never get it from you. Yeah, and I know I feel like it's kind of naive. I know a lot of people are super doomers, but it is kind of ridiculous to think that it's ever really going to go down for that long. And it's like it's going right. to come back up. And then if you – I don't even really understand or crypto that well, but I know that it's not something you can just take down. Like it just yeah. it's just there. And there's so. even <laughs> – there are even there's even satellites in space mining crypto right now. So – even if all the electricity on Earth went down, those satellites still beaming around us are still going to be broadcasting the blockchain down onto Earth. So it would really take a hell of a lot to shut down the Bitcoin network. Yeah, it would have it would have to be like Armageddon type shit. I really yeah. would be like because I mean we are. It would have to be a point where we're where it's such a prolific event. It's knocking humanity back to a previous age. Like, it would have to be right. something of that limit. Because, like, yes, there could be some crazy shit hit the fan, you know, economic collapse, and maybe the grid might go down for a while, but it'll come back up eventually. Like, it's just not going to just stay down. Unless right. it's, like, yeah. a gigantic solar flare or a comet or some crazy shit. <laughs> uh, I, I, I totally agree with you. It would have to be an extinction-level event to, exactly. to, 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 to corrupt the network. And 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 your fucking what currency you're using is going to at least your problems at that point. So exactly, yeah, right, yeah. You got a comment to worry about, right? Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question, and this will probably be my last one. Um, all right, here, all right. A lot of people know, like, when it comes to currency, like, that what determines a good currency. I think Rothbard went to this a little bit. It determines a good currency is something that has value behind it. So that's why gold and silver are good because they have alternate uses, and they're also like rare. So, and that's kind of why fiat fucking sucks because it really is held up by no value aside from the fucking violence of the state. And that's really it. And essentially that's a house of cards waiting to collapse. So how in the fuck is crypto not just a fiat 2.0 in that it's, what is, what is upholding the value? I mean, this is a devil's advocate kind of question, but you know, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So, um, so number one, um, I guess the first thing I would say is that a fiat currency, by definition, is one who has been uh, 
one that has value by edict alone. And a commodity, I think this is Mises comes from Mises. Mises' definition of a commodity money is just one that the market chooses, right? One that's freely selected. Um, but a commodity, commodity money has a use, has some utility to it, right? Um, that's the definition of a commodity. And this goes back to, this ties into Mises' uh, and I'm sorry, Menger's regression theorem, right? If you read this little booklet by Menger called Origins of Money, he goes through how money is actually comes into being. Um, and basically it works like this. So you have to have some sort of commodity. And this commodity has to have a non-monetary value based on utility that gives it sort of uh, universal demand. Right. So in the case of gold, and if you think about this in your head, it all makes sense. Everyone wanted gold, right, in prehistoric times because of its decorative or ornamental value, right? Everyone wanted it. There was no one as well, yeah. Right, right. But at the time, yeah. right, in prehistoric yeah. times. Oh, the, yeah, no shit. <laughs> it, it, it was just wanted, it was wanted universally for decorative purposes, right? But because, because everyone wanted it, um, all of a sudden, people think start to think as well. Well, hey, you know what? This could be used um, in exchanges, right? You know, also think to yourself at the time you're, you're you're living in a state of barter, right? So you know, before before gold is money, when it's just a commodity, it's just you want it for its its uh, utility as as a, as a decoration. People are living in a state of barter. Well, if you have um, shoes and I have wheat, right? And 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 I want I want to trade you for eggs. Right, that doesn't work. Right, we we run into the sort of coincidence of double wants. Right, um, the problem of double wants. We have to both find something that we each have that we both want. Well, money sort of solves this problem. Right, once we know that you want gold and I want gold, then then exchange becomes much easier. Right, because now you know that if you want something that I have, you can just offer me gold and I'll accept it. Or if I want some, if I want something that you have. Chances are, if I offer you gold or silver, you're going to accept it, right? Because you want it. So it's that universal demand for 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 decoration, that utility, that sort of bootstraps uh, the demand for at, for its use as money, right? And now you you enter into like once it's once it's being used as exchange media, all of the different mediums of exchange circulating in the economy will narrow themselves down until only one commodity is used as exchange media and Mises called this the money, right? So like the criteria that the market uses to narrow down those commodities, uh, Manger lists um, in his little book, Origins of Money, right? And he, he gives us two sets of criteria to consider. One set of criteria will limit the spatial saleability of a commodity. The other will limit the temporal saleability of a commodity. So one of the things he says is like, hey, in terms of like, you know, something that you have to watch out for that might mess with the spatial saleability of a commodity is, is the cost incurred in, tra in, in transportation. So if it costs you a bunch of money to move gold from A to B, maybe that won't be a good money. Well, maybe uh, if it costs you a bunch of money to move Bitcoin from one wallet address to another, right, aka the transaction fee, maybe it's not a good money, right? And then he says, in terms of temporal saleability, he says, watch out, right? If, if the state can seize and censor this, maybe it won't be a good money. Well, look what happened to gold, right? Gold is no longer used as money for exactly what Manger spoke about in this, in this little booklet. So, um, so yeah, you need to have just to summarize. You need to have that utility, that bootstrap, that you that bootstraps universal demand. Then the market will narrow itself down based on saleability. And also, we didn't we didn't mention soundness, right? But soundness is a, is a completely different concept. Um, you know, based on I, there's all different criteria. I think there's like fungibility, uh, durability, portability. Things like that that uh, go into soundness of the currency, which, frankly, most cryptocurrencies are sound. I, I would say, right? I think basically anything that's not a fiat currency is, is pretty sound. Some are some more so than others. So.
Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's totally true. I Like, I mean, you went way deeper than I thought you would on it, which I'm glad you did. But, uh, like, I was kind of getting at that, like, uh, I, I would think that the value behind it is its soundness. The fact that it's, like, the usefulness of it is what that it's, like, kind of perfectly fits that void of being a, a, a medium yeah. exchange, you know? Like, because it has the whole, like, cryptographic, you know, aspect of, like, how it just works so well. And, like, it's that's what the value is behind it. Because I know a lot of people criticize it's, like, there's no real value. I'm like, the value is its usefulness. Like, well, that, that, that that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And like, its usefulness is derived from its peer-to-peer nature, right? Like, with with a dollar, that's not it's not a peer-to-peer transaction, right? That's me to the bank to you. Mm-hmm. With crypto, it's just me to you, right? That that's the utility. That's the whole usefulness of crypto, is that there's no third party that can possibly censor that transaction. Yeah. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that because they want to get rich and we know that we know they say number go up, right? It's all about like trying to make a buck and that's not the point. The point of Bitcoin and crypto is to create more freedom for the world and I think that you know a lot of people forget that. All right, cool. All right, well I think we set out what uh, I intended to do and I'm really glad to have you on and I know you're like pressed for time and we kind of perfectly hit it. So uh Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and let awesome. you give your give your plugs real quick and then we'll go ahead and uh I'll get my plugs and we'll kill it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Salviagoras.com. That's where you can find all my stuff. Um again, follow me on social media. I'm at, at Sally Mayweather or Sal Mayweather, depending on whatever whatever social media platform you're on, I'm probably there as well. And uh check out 3D printergobur.com. That's B-R-R-R.com where you can buy 3D printers and 3D printing supplies for cryptocurrency. Yeah, and uh, I'm on a No Way Jose uh, YouTube channel. I'm also on everywhere potty audio podcasts are at. Also on the Liberty Movement YouTube and BitChute. Keep in mind, the Liberty Movement's also on Facebook and MeWe. Go check them out. All this stuff will be in the video description along with Sal's stuff. Contact me at the, the Liberty Movement Global at gmail.com. You know, give me fucking money because I like money. So uh, hit me up at patreon.com slash No Way Jose 2020. Or give me fucking crypto, which is, uh, you know, kind of makes sense for this uh, episode at uh, endthefed.app. I'm also no way Jose 2020 on there. And uh, with that, like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Uh, Deuces. I really appreciate you coming, Sal. It was a good time as always. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. See ya.